and welcome to The Truth About Fiction. I'm Lynn Michelle. And I'm Derek Thompson. And we're going to talk about the whole hard grinding business of being a writer, of writing and being published. We're going to shatter some myths, break some hearts and hopefully bring you something inspiring. But most of all, we will tell it how it is. I asked Avril what the themes were that connected the many short stories that she's written and the novella and novels like um, Sometimes a River Song. And she listed things that were so familiar to me in my writing, but uh, I'll say them again. She said the themes are belonging, roots, and being an outsider. What makes you an outsider and not belong to a group or a community or whatever. And she went on to say, I think it may be something to do with me working in a prison for 25 years. Uh, how can you not think about insiders and outsiders, those that belong and those that don't belong? And of course that runs through all her work. And then she added, and I also keep drowning people. And she laughed and she said, I hadn't realized until you asked me just now, I keep drowning people. And she didn't know where that came from, except she was brought up in the fens and there's a lot of water. And she spent much of her childhood wandering around watery places where it was easy to fall in. You asked me why had I picked up the two books about yeah. COVID. I picked up Avril's not because it was about COVID. It was because we were gathering together her best works and the novella just happens to be about COVID. She wrote it recently when she herself was locked down. Anne Oakley I picked up. I tell you this honestly, Derek, because I wanted and I want Anne Oakley on my list. She's pretty well known. She wrote The Men's Room back in the day uh, when it became a TV series with Bill oh, Nye. Anne's well known and I thought, yeah, I'd really like to have her on my list. So I got to know her and we got on really well. So that project just just was slotted in very, very nicely to the Linen Press list. And we found we worked well together. It's finished now. I expect there'll be more submissions. But well, going back to something else you said, Derek, about people needing stories when they were locked down, my rate of submissions for Linen Press must have gone up threefold during wow. that first lockdown and it ran into the second lockdown they were coming in one a day at least sometimes three a day and now they've stopped they've gone back to their former level of about mm, three four five a week so I saw a big change there whether people were pulling things out of drawers that had been in there for a long time or whether they were picking up things that had been sitting on their desks lockdown certainly had a big impact on people sending me in their work. I was overwhelmed. I, I, was, I was completely snowed under. I can't say the quality went up. The quantity did, not the quality. You wonder what, what drives people, as you say, whether it's, while well, I'm in lockdown, uh, let's have a go at this novel again for the bottom drawer, or whether they sort of just wanted their story told, you know, they wanted to mm. be heard, which is obviously another reason why writers write. I mean, reading recently that you know this idea of you write the story that you feel must be told i'm always fascinated by that approach because it isn't mine i tend now to approach writing really 
quite impersonally, but that could be a game because I write series and because I write um, genre fiction. I do wonder if in the light of uh, COP26, whether there are going to be more environmental stories. I mean, there are lots of fantastic stories from around the world that touch upon the environment and uh, connection with the land and the earth. But I wonder if we're going to see more environmental thrillers in the next year or so, just because it is such um, a current threat, well, a, a growing threat, I should say. I can't see it could be otherwise. Given what we're facing as, as a planet, I don't see how it could be that writers don't take, take that on board and weave it into their novels and their thrillers and whatever it is they're writing. I'm doing it and I'm struggling with it. You know about my whale, who's um, separated from his pod by too much noise in the ocean and something that distracts him. And I'm trying to tell the story of climate crisis and disaster for the creatures that live in the sea through the eyes and ears and feelings of a whale who, a young whale who's separated from his pod. And I go to that, oh, Derek, talking about the process of writing, it's approach withdrawal. It's two steps forwards and three steps backwards and three steps forwards. I go down, I've got a room now I go down to. So I I go downstairs and I go into the room and I never know how it's going to go. And some days I dread it, Um, but I must do it. There's also this this in this compulsion uh, perhaps obsession to do battle with the story that I've all, I've I've written once I know it's not right so I have to write it again and yes it's the story of climate change and it's really hard I've given myself the task of talking and writing about the damage done to the oceans through the eyes of this huge magnificent beautiful creature who has no voice except the one that calls through the water I mean, it, it's been well documented there's tons to learn about how whales communicate but I don't want it to be either a scientific tract nor do I want it to be didactic so I'm having to always steer away from those and try and get closer to the whale closer to the whale's own experience my goodness it's hard it's 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 why do I do it why do other writers take on something that's so difficult is your writing that difficult uh, well, I would say to the first question, I think I think writers do it because it's easier than not doing it. Because <laughs> if you, you're still obsessed by those themes and those ideas and they gnaw away at you like rats behind a skirting board. My, <laughs> my current obsession is, uh, as you know, my, my great American novel, as in it grates on me, is sort of in stasis because, it, again, similar to good self, it, it hasn't worked in its current form even though I still think it's funny, but that's not enough to make a successful novel. So I've decided to go back to something that I enjoy, talking about lockdown, I suppose, in a sense. Sometimes you follow the path of least resistance. And in my case, it was a follow-up. I don't know if I've got any fans, but a kind of for the fans follow-up to the Thomas Bladen series. So this is Bladen 6 that um, occurs shortly after Bladen 5. And my approach this time has been I've I mean I've tried various ways of of plotting it because I feel I need to understand the sequence of at least the main points because the way that I like to write I deal very much in consequences so I've got these post-it notes on a wall and I play musical chairs with them and I move them around I've managed to get 
top row in a, a, a form that makes sense to me has a certain flow and a certain logic but yeah it is it's like it's like a pale yellow migraine mosaic <laughs> And every time I move it around, I think, no, that makes sense. And I think, well, hang on, though. I've already written a bit. And if I do it that way, then that bit will become irrelevant. And I either need to change it or, you know, I need to drown some darlings or fundamentally rewrite it. And, you know, yourself as, as writers, you, you get quite attached to a, a particular bit of text because either you feel that it said exactly what you wanted to say, or it sounds good, or it's funny, or you know that if you take it out of the book, it doesn't have any other sort of life. That's what you have to do, ultimately. You're talking about a way of writing that I've heard others talk about, where they have their post-its, and they have a plot, and they, there are all these points in the plot, and it's organized and it's complex and but you know where you're going sort of it's about moving the pieces on a board and it's completely opposite to how I write and how Avril writes we start with a word or phrase or we just start writing and we see where the writing itself goes I don't have any post-its or any notes or anything stuck on my wall or anything to tell me what I'm doing I just have a mood music in my head or I have feelings, strong feelings about loneliness or being lost or not belonging, which is how Avril also describes her novella. And we take it from there. We just see where that mood music takes us. But it's so intuitive and it's so unstructured and it could go nowhere. And that's why it's approach withdrawal. I have to accept, and I'm sure other writers will relate to this, I have to accept that I could go down there to my room and I could spend the next year trying to write this thing and it could end up as a complete failure because it doesn't work. And I know it'll, I do know if, it, if it's working or if it's not working and I won't put out anything that I know is a failure, but I'm giving myself a job to do that could end in failure, whereas I could go out and plant seeds and know that they'll come up as plants and they won't fail. So why are writers why do we go down these paths i love i love your confidence in your My seeds. yeah well they're I'm, much more they're much more likely to come up than the right words for the whale yeah. i've done that for 40 or 50 years i've poked seeds into soil and i know my fingers are green and perhaps eight times out of ten it'll be a success not a failure I think I garden the other way in that things arrive and I think, oh, that's where the hell did that come from? Oh, no, you're um, gardening and my writing are back to front. Well, the interesting thing you were saying about me being organised, I would have been had I plotted when I started, but I've got to 15,000 words of text. And then I thought I need I need actually to step back probably 33 paces to see the bigger picture because I've it's as if I've followed a person down the street without having any idea of why I need to follow them or what they're doing. I just see what they see. I think, again, what we're talking about in terms of approaches is that literary fiction, and I communicate with other literary fiction authors, and they say it, it is all about the theme. It's all about the mood. And I think with genre fiction, and particularly the genres I write in, there is an expectation that there is a fairly familiar structure and there needs to be a fairly definite end. So you're already working with something approximating the template. But for me, there are themes that are the same, really, all, all the time. I would say in what I write, the themes are truth, betrayal and consequence. 
it's really i think for me about answering questions so the question is often what what if someone from a previous book was approached by someone who knew something they'd done in a previous book but no one was supposed to know and then what would happen which I think I've currently called Lazarus, which is a clue there. But it seems to me that your approach is, as you say, you've got a a big theme like belonging or the environment or place. It's as if you speak a different language because a bit like when I tried to learn tango, it just wasn't in me at all. Oh, but you're making it sound far more lofty. I don't really start with a big theme. I start with a whale. The themes, as I said in another podcast, hang under the water, and I hope they're not too visible. I hope the story carries the reader through, not not anything, not not the big ideas that hang underneath. But maybe we should swap round, and I should try doing what you do, and you should try doing what I do. But let me give you another analogy, Derek. Okay, so what we're doing cooking you've got a recipe because you've already written five Thomas Bladen thrillers you've got a lot of the ingredients already there you've got the main ingredients and you know what temperature to cook it at and you know for how long there may be a few extra ingredients you need to add so say it's a souffle you could change cheese or say it's a cake you could change the nuts or the spices I don't I start without a recipe so I'm just looking in my fridge and and seeing what I've got and then I start and I'll see what how it ends up is that is that a fair analogy it is I mean interestingly I have very little interest in food (laughs) so you you hit upon a truism Uh, whether it's because I've busted my nose twice and don't have much of a sense of smell Apart from the greats, as I think I've said, you know, urine, petrol, orange juice, garlic and freezers, strangely. But I wonder if you like, maybe maybe all literary fiction is a kind of exploration. And I think it is lofty and, and that's good because that's what it is. I mean, you say you don't have a big theme. You started with a whale. It's a pretty big theme. Somebody explained to me that the, the point about literary fiction is it's not just about the thing that it's about. So you say, you know, you started writing about a whale but even in your analogy which i thought was really really clever or intelligently put together it is about the things below the surface literally and figuratively yeah we talk a lot about the contrast between the way we we write so it's a theme that we come back to i was going to ask you do you sometimes how do you feel when or is there a a common feeling that you have when you've been in your attic you've done a long stint of tackling thomas bladen how do you feel at the end of the session? Tired. I don't know. It, it's probably different to a lot of writers because in many ways, I feel as though he is telling me his stories. Yes. So as time goes on, and particularly, I suppose, with a, a kind of nod to Raymond Chandler and others, there is this sense of I'm building and extending a world that already exists or that I've already created. So I'm not creating anything new as such in the world. I'm getting a deeper understanding of it. So you start off with if it were a, a map of London where Thomas lives, then you, as time goes on, you're getting a more and more detailed map. You're understanding more you know, where he goes, where the shops are, what the past relationships are with characters and how that informs the, the present and probably uh, future stories if there are any. So it, it's more like map making mm. than, than it is, say, composing. Oh, that's another good analogy. 
I think you compose. I think you, you have a mood and you yeah. gradually set that to music and you create the tempo and you create the flow of it and you think about how those notes will be represented, you know, in terms of which in- instrumentation and how you bring it all together. And yeah, I, I, that works well. That, work, that, that, that chimes. But do you, like me, come away sometimes feeling, yeah, that's, I did okay today and uh, that makes me feel quite buoyant for the rest of the evening? And sometimes I come away really despondent because I haven't cracked it. Do, do you have those shifts of mood when you come away from a writing session? Or are you more inured to it? Are you more defended and armoured against um, those feelings of despondency? I think there's always, it's hammering down rain. So if you can hear noise behind me, it's not anybody applauding. Um, <laughs> I always have this sense of discontent with whatever I do creatively, but where the contentment, such as it is, comes from is knowing that I've applied myself. I can control the inputs. I may not be able to control the quality, but I can control the intent and the commitment to it. In a sense, that has to be enough. So it's a kind of almost a, a workaday approach to writing. Yes, you keep saying that, that, that it's workmanlike, that it's a craft. And again, that's because you're writing the same kind of thriller that you've written before. And you know where you're going. In a way, your footsteps from the last journey are still there and you're walking in them, aren't you? I think also, though, as a, a freelancer, it's a similar mindset. You have a client, if you're lucky, in a brief or a magazine you want to write for and you approach them, a sort of structure. I mean, interestingly, the, the American novel was very different to everything else I wrote because that was largely drawn from my own experience. But that was much more about the feelings of the character and that sense of not belonging, of being the outsider and of life happening to you. And interestingly, those were the elements that the editorial consultant told me worked the least well. So maybe, in a sense, what we're talking about is playing to our strengths. I keep hearing about the American novel and I see it as the elephant in your living room. It's the one you can't get past yet. But you keep going back and you keep trying. You keep trying to get past it, don't you? Yeah, it's quite difficult to squeeze past an elephant. The interesting thing with it is... I could get to a point where I suppose we're entering dark waters here. I think that writers, and I'm speaking personally, at some point you need to understand your level. So there are lots of people who who think they're capable of uh, winning a Pulitzer and they aren't. You know, it's a bit like these talent shows, which I can't abide, where somebody gets up on stage, they can sing because everybody told them they can and uh, they screech like a pterodactyl. Um, (laughs) And I think for me, it's not false modesty. It's not insecurity. It's knowing how good a writer you are. You're always trying to push that. But recognising your own limitations. And I think, if I'm brutally honest, I could live with just having the book as it is now and saying, right, that's my book and it's done. And some bits are funny and some bits aren't and some bits are too long. But what I actually want to do with it is make it a book that's so much better than anything I've written, partly because it is so different. So it's not just that it's an elephant that's difficult to get past. It's an elephant I want to actually push up a hill. Yes, And I think you will, because 
you haven't left it alone. And it means a lot to you. I can hear that. I think also because it's different from the Thomas Bladen books, as you keep saying, it's more personal. It doesn't follow the same sort of pattern that, that, that you've established. And so you want to really, you want to, you're pushing yourself with that one. Uh, and it's a bit like we're standing on a ladder or else we're on two separate ladders. But I think I know how far up the rungs I can go. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to give you a number, but it's not number one. And it's not numbered. How many shall we have? Say 50. I'm, no, I'm nowhere near top or bottom, but I think I know roughly where I am on that ladder. And maybe I'll push myself up a rung or two more before I finish, but I'm getting close to my my upper rung. How about well, you? That, I think it might be a, a footstool sometimes, but then, you know, I look behind and I see other people, oh, you know, you've done this, you've done that, I'd like to do that. And I say it's easy, you know, just give up your, give up your adolescence and uh, chew your way through 28 pens and a lot of notebooks in lieu of therapy, and in probably 20 years you'll be there. One of the other reasons why I want to get the, the American novel out there and published is because I have other novels that aren't the same but deal with the male psyche and they're only sketched out as ideas they're not they're not follow-ons they're not the same characters thank god but it is another direction I, I really wish to explore because it seems to me that one of the most exciting things about being a writer is you start off at a and you go to B and C and then something happens. In my case, I was fortunate enough to be published. So instead of just having one novel that I really liked and half a novel that was a kind of sequel to it, I was fortunate to be given the opportunity to then produce five novels, which puts a pressure on me. But also because of my approach means it's something that I wanted and had to deliver on. So if I got this American novel out of the way, doesn't sound very kind. If I push the elephant up the hill while on my ladder, it means that I can drag two smaller elephants up behind me. I like I that. I like what you're saying because I can now see you in a landscape with a different trail. You have your trail of Thomas Bladen with the footsteps, but there are a few footsteps that are taking you down another trail. But until you've, until you've actually walked the first bit you're not going to get to the next part but it's there waiting for you it's a different trail and a different writing journey that sounds really encouraging I think I think that's good news if there's a different direction that you might one day take but I also understand that you have to get that first novel done first because I always have to do that one has to be finished and put to the side before you then take your next steps on that same path so I can I can I can relate to that completely Completely. Maybe once you've sorted the American novel, the next one will open up for you. It's like signposts along the way, but you can't get to the next one until you've reached that first. And far ahead, there are more. And I hope they, I hope they come. We'll see. I mean, the interesting thing is I, I have one, I have the premise for another novel, which it's about someone who wakes up in bed and they think they've travelled in time. So they're about 31 and they think they're 17. And they think that what's happened is that someone has put something in their cider and that they've travelled forward in time from 17 to 31 in their own body. Yes. But what's happened is they've had a breakdown. But it gives them the opportunity to reflect on a 30-year-old life from a 17-year-old perspective. So all the sort of ambitions, they were going to be in a band, they were going to go to art college, all of these things. And then they find they're recently put on gardening leave from an estate agents. So they're reflecting on their choices and trying to understand it and gradually over a period of about two weeks they come to understand by 
slightly unusual means that this has happened to them before and everyone else is treating them normally because for everyone else has sort of been told he'll come out of it eventually but because they have this experience of looking at their life with fresh eyes it makes them consider their choices and at 30 what they want to do next i'm so glad you've got all that waiting derek and the other story you did ask, I found in a book yesterday, um, which I wrote, at one of my scribble books, one of the many. It's a journalist who asks men for their breakup stories because they're doing a feature. And he gets these sort of random contacts from people who talk about breakups. But two men in particular tell him about a woman that they dated who was just amazing and how deeply they regret the ruining the relationship with this woman. So the journalist decides he will track her down because that will make a much more interesting feature. And then it's about how he encounters her and whether or not he develops feelings for her. And whether or not what the two men regret about their treatment of her, whether that's the entirety of the relationship. And the title for that is probably The Life We Never Had. So you've got at least two novels lined up after The Elephant One. After The American One, after Blade and the Six, and after the next crime mystery comes out. Oh, your life is full, Derek. You you need no more. It's a firework display going on in my head. Um, Oh, I can't see beyond my whale. I've only got to get him across the ocean. That's just, oh, my, my, my imagination sounds so um, constrained compared with yours. Well, I think focused is the word you're looking for. For me, it's like <laughs> I have a lot of voices shouting at me. I mean, at the beginning of lockdown, I had this great idea. Why don't I get, I suppose a bit like Avril, but nowhere near as polished. Why don't I get together all the short stories that I've written and that I like, some of which have been published in other anthologies, because I I was going to say, I went through a phase of, let's be a short story writer, and periodically, interestingly, like the literary literary fiction approach, an idea would grab me that wouldn't be a whole lot of anything. One was, I read Raymond Carver's short stories, and I had this idea of a woman who goes to meet her boyfriend in college, And when she gets to his room, there are two people in the bed and how that develops, how that changes her, what's really going on. And and it doesn't doesn't really go anywhere as a story. It's more like a kind of slice of life. But I started trying to write stories like that. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that although my approach can be fixed as a writer, I'm not really fixed. I fell into spy fiction. I fell into crime mysteries after spy fiction seemed to have run its course. And whatever's out there is what I'll do next. Well, that sounds really optimistic and hopeful and purposeful. Yeah, I do impressions. <laughs> I wish I had your, um, this positivity. I think you'd better send some down the line to me, please, Derek. And well, I think it, we should maybe end on that note with your, your, your strength and, and positive thoughts about all those books you're going to write. I'll leave you with a, a hopefully encouraging thought. A lot of writers talk about imposter syndrome. You know, they say, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not really this. I'm not really that. I'm not really that. I think what I've done is I've kind of made peace with my, my inner imposter. In that I think I am an imposter. I mean that genuinely in the nicest possible way. I'm just a writer. And it's taken me ages to even, you know, claim that badge. And what yes. that means, if tomorrow I get the idea of a horror story, I'll have a go at that. Because also, I think I know where I am on the rung. And because of where I am on the ladder, it kind of doesn't matter. Because I I never started writing to earn thousands. So you're lucky in a way that you can follow whatever impulse is uh, hammering away at you at the moment. And 
you can choose which way you go next. Yeah, if I could choose one thing at a time, that would obviously be an advantage. But that might help. I think and maybe it's an age thing as well. I don't think there's as much riding on it as there was, say, in my twenties. Yes. Yeah. It was a validation. Yeah. I've had a bit of that, and it was okay. It was. It's never enough, and. I think you come to a point, if you're lucky, and I've been lucky, in that you embrace it for what it is. And it's an opportunity to just play, to to see where it takes you. And most importantly, and I know we've talked about this before, to have it change you. And I think for me, that's the real draw of writing. I think that's something we could pick up next time um, about how different it is writing your first story or or novel when you're however young you are and where we are now a long way down the line both of us me probably further down the line than you there are different driving forces and factors and feelings certainly not the same I think that's something we might pick up next time easing oneself into the role of being a writer and accepting what that role is exactly and how comfortable it is Okay, well, shall we leave it there for today? Yeah, let's. Well, great to speak to you. And uh, thanks to anyone who's listening. At some point, we'll figure out a way for you to keep in touch. We'll be back. Watch this space, or rather, listen to it. See you all again (laughs) soon. Bye. Bye now.